Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? I just have a very impromptu live stream. Thank you, Catholic Orthodox Inquirer. I'm doing very good today. Very good. So I was just doing some reading in uh, St. Thomas and then reading some of uh, Cajetan's commentary on the Summa. And I was reading a section and um, there was some cross-references that Cajetan made. And I was, I was reading through it and I was like, dang. It it really impressed upon me how much St. Thomas um, kind of precedes St. John Henry Newman when it comes to the development of doctrine. And they they um, explain it much in the same sense, which is very interesting considering all those people online telling me that John Henry Newman made up the development of doctrine. That's super crazy. Um, I, I guess St. Thomas had a vision of the Reformation and uh, St. John Henry Newman and just happened to uh happened to go ahead of him and um he just had some sort of prescience when it when it came prescience would it, would it be prescience or prescience i don't know i don't pronounce stuff right so i'm actually in in my son's nursery right now recording this because i couldn't find any other place but you guys just needed to know about it so i'm just gonna provide because that's how i am but before I share my screen, remember to become a patron at patreon.com slash militantomist. We will be having the chill stream at 7, which is patrons only. And I only have 20% battery on my Mac, so we get to what we get to. And I will try my hardest. So yeah, become a patron, patreon.com slash militantomist. Okay, here it is. So it's in Secunda Secundae, and it's going to be question one, and it's going to roll down to article 7. So this, per se, is about um, the relationship between the Old and New Covenants, but the way he explains it, it's actually going to apply for both of them, which is very interesting. And then there's a wider application, which is even realized in the Thomistic commentators, which is seen by uh, Cajetan's commentary, which I won't go over, because one, it's in Latin, and two, um, I'm not confident enough in my Latin to be able to provide a good translation although I'm able to grasp the sense. So, okay. So the question of whether the articles of faith have increased in course of time. He says, I answer that the articles of faith stand in the same relation to the doctrine of faith as self-evident principles to the teaching based on natural reason. So the articles of faith and then the doctrine of faith. So this is the, an important distinction that's going to be made over what develops. The articles of faith are, for example, going to be the articles of the creed. That's basically what he's talking about. Those baseline uh, articles in which we assent to. And then the doctrine of faith, we can think of that like systematic theology. Those various consequences which we draw from the articles of faith. So that's going to be, um, I don't know, certain uh, ideas about predestination and election, uh, let's say pre, uh, physical promotion of the will, stuff like that. Those are doctrines of faith, but they aren't articles of faith. Like we don't confess every week um, that we believe in the physical promotion of the will. We don't. Articles of faith would be like the resurrection. And then the doctrine of faith are those um, consequences drawn from those certain articles. And this is related in the same way as self-evident principles to the teaching based on natural reason. So that would be like the principle of non-contradiction, the fact that something can't be X and not X, and then those consequences drawn from it in philosophy. So there's an analogous relation between the two, which is, properly speaking, an analogy of proper proportionality. Okay. So among these principles, there is a certain order so that some are contained implicitly in others. 
Thus, all principles are reduced as to their first principle to this one. The same thing cannot be affirmed and denied in the same way as a philosopher states. So when it comes to all philosophy, everything is reduced to this one principle and contained implicitly in it. Just like in theology, all of our uh, all of our theological uh, principles when it comes to the realm of systematics, so uh, those doctrines of faith that I told you, are reduced back to the articles of faith. In like manner, all the articles are contained implicitly in certain primary matters of faith, which are the articles, such as God's existence and his providence over the salvation of men. According to Hebrews 11, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that seek him. For the existence of God includes all that we believe to exist in God eternally, and in these our happiness consists, while belief in his providence includes all those things which God disposes in time for man's salvation and which are the way to that happiness. And in this way, again, some of those articles which follow from these are contained in others. Thus, faith in the redemption of mankind includes belief in the incarnation of Christ, his passion, and so forth. So again, that same principle just being given an example. Okay, now he's going to make the application. So accordingly, we must conclude that as regards the substance of the articles of faith, they have not received any increase as time went on. So in say... So in the thing itself, especially when it comes to those articles of faith. So he's restricting and distinguishing how the increase in time, how the development happens, which is the same thing that Newman is going to say. So it doesn't happen in the articles of faith. So we're not going to grow to understand new articles of faith. That, do, that doesn't happen. So we can distinguish that out of it and deny that. And then we need to make another distinction. It's not in themselves. So those doctrines of faith which we have, they exist in the mind of God and are preached. But uh, in subiecto, so in, in the subject, in our understanding, they have increased over time. So we make those two very important distinctions, which most of the people who are commenting on Newman's development of doctrine, they don't understand these two distinctions. But St. Thomas obviously does. Since whatever those who lived later have believed was contained, albeit implicitly in the faith of those fathers who preceded them. So all of those new developments, they have to be contained implicitly in the previous faith of the church. And then he's going to make this uh, application when it comes to the new covenant and the old covenant, because this is primarily what he's talking about. Although secondarily, um, so couldn't have quid, uh, we, can, we can apply this to the development of doctrine. But there was an increase in the number of articles believed explicitly, since to those who lived in later times, some were known explicitly, which were not known explicitly by those who believed before. Hence, the Lord said to Moses and David said, and the apostle says, OK, so I think there might be I thought there was something in. Yes, this is very important. Reply to objection two. So let's go back up to objection two. see what's up. So further development has taken place in sciences devised by man on account of the lack of knowledge in those who discover them, as the philosopher observes. Now, the doctrine of faith was not devised by man, but was devised to us by God, as stated in Ephesians 2.8, as the gift of God. Since then, there can be no lack of knowledge in God. It seems that knowledge of matters of faith were, was perfect from the beginning and did not increase as time went on. Okay, that's going to be a main objection that people are going to give against this, and he makes this distinction between in se and in subiecto. That's very important. So progress in knowledge occurs in two ways. First, on the part of the teacher, so on the part of God, be he one or many who makes progress in knowledge as time goes on, and this is the kind of progress that takes place in sciences devised by man. 
but we're going to deny that this takes place in science is devised by God because God does not learn anything new. Second, on the part of the learner, so on the part of the church, on the part of us, thus the master who has perfect knowledge of the art does not deliver it all at once to his disciple from the very outset, for he would not be able to take it all in, but he condescends to the disciple's capacity, instructs him little by little. It is in this way that man made progress in the knowledge of the faith as time went on, hence the apostle compares the state of the Old Testament to childhood. So there might be an objection right here, like, hey, Christian, what are you what are you getting at? Um, it seems like this is just restricted to the Old Testament's relation to the New Testament. No, no, you are wrong. So let's go to the third book of his commentary on the third book of sentences. Distinction 25, question two, article two, and then um I can't, I've never been able to pronounce this word, quaestinucula, quaestinucula, my Latin pronunciation is horrible. So the fourth one, no, is it the fourth? No, it's the first one. Ah, there you go. And this is the question over whether the faith, progr faith progressed through succession of time as far as those things would be believed explicitly. So basically what we talked about and... Let's get down to his response to question one. Let me see if there's anything in the chat. Which website or program are you using there? Aquinas.cc. If you go there, you can get um, anything from St. Thomas for free. Um, basically, it's going to have the Latin and English text. Very important. And there's uh, I, what I think in the future what I'm going to do is uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow night since I have off work. I'm going to record a series just showing how to do all this stuff, how to find all this stuff online, um, how to read each one of the um, other texts from St. Thomas that aren't the Summa. Uh, I think I'm going to do, I, I think people would find that super helpful because um, after, I'm going to take a bit of a one week break um, next week because I'm being received at Easter and I kind of just want the week to not to, just be able to focus on prayer and contemplation of the divine mysteries to be able to be prepared for reception into the church. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to record a bunch of those videos and then just schedule them ahead of time. So you guys will at least have something while I'm gone. So I'll, I'll get into a bit more of that uh, later, uh, not this stream. Okay. So on the question of the progression of the articles of faith explicitly over time. So I answer that faith is a sort of knowledge. Now, the quantity of one's knowledge is considered in two ways, namely according to its objects and according to the efficacy of its acts concerning its objects. So according to um, our acts, which are um, intellectually grasping an object, then also according to the object itself. So remember, uh, use those two categories in say in the thing itself, and then in subjecto in our in, in the subject of us. So uh, he's making the same exact distinction as St. John Henry Newman makes in his on the evolution of Catholic dogma. Moreover, a habit. So a habit was that kind of uh, disposition of the will, which is between power and act is specified from its object. So the habit, which is what I just explained is specified by that object of our intellectual knowledge. So the first quantity is essential to the habit. So the thing which we are grasping, the quantity of articles is essential to our uh, faith. And according to this, one considers the magnitude, the amount or quantity of one's faith, which follows the quantity of the articles, things to be believed. 
He's a little bit more complicated in the uh, commentary on the senses that you can see. And therefore, in reference to this quantity, faith neither grows nor shrinks, since it is always remains the same. However, the efficacy of one's agency is due to the condition of the agent. And therefore, with respect to three other magnitudes, faith can progress while it remains the same relative to the diverse conditions of men. Okay. And then... Yes. Okay. Now, in the act of faith, three things are found relative to which the quantity of the efficacy of faith can be considered. Two of them are according to the proper its proper nature, namely to think. In reference to this, faith is said to be great in cognition. Now, we got to get through this paragraph. The end of this is where it's going to be important. And to assent. And in reference to this, faith is said to be great in its constancy, since assent indicates certitude and determination, as was said above. However, the third is in the act of faith insofar as it is informed by charity, and reference to this faith is called great in devotion. But the certitude of faith comes from the will determining the intellect of one thing, and so does its formation by charity, which is in the will. And moreover, the will has dominion over its acts according also in reference to any time. Therefore, in speaking of the essential meaning of the magnitude of faith, in reference to the constancy and devotion, progress is considered according to the will's readiness, which comes from grace, not from the succession of time periods, except incidentally, insofar as in a certain time there is a fuller inflowing of grace than in another as regards the common state of mankind, although not as regards all persons. But thinking pertains to the intellect. Okay, so this happened, This all this stuff was basically talking about um faith in regard to our devotion to the things so it's not really uh, too important but this boom this is gonna be very important so glad you stuck with me but thinking pertains to the intellect the virtues of which require experience and time as is stated in ethics too so when it comes to our subjective grasping of the objects of faith we are able to grow in that grasping according to experience and time, because that's just the way in which an int the intellect works. So really the anti-development of doctrine, people just don't know how the intellect works. It's just a terrible anthropology. They just, it's, it's very sad. It's very, very terrible. And therefore the quantity of faith that is in reference to the knowledge of its articles, speaking according to its essential meaning does grow according to change of time. So when it comes to our knowledge of the articles, even according to the essential meaning, it grows according to the change of time. Okay. And then you still may say, like, well, Christian, it's this is just this is just speaking of of the um individual grasping of the articles of faith. This isn't talking about the development of doctrine in the sense of the entire church. Well, I'm glad you said that because when it comes to the reply to objection four, five, where is it? Where did, here it is. Reply to objection five, we have him treat this exact thing. So I'm so glad you objected that. So he actually is speaking about when it comes to the knowledge of the church and in the science of theology growing over time. So something that is contained in an article can be made explicit in two ways. This is another important distinction that he's going to make here. In one way, insofar as one article 
but I'll actually just highlight this whole so we have the one distinction clear. So in one way, insofar as one article is sometimes is contained in another or two in one common one, for example, the resurrection of the dead is in a way contained in the resurrection of Christ and the passion and incarnation in the common article that is the mystery of redemption. And in this way, an implicit faith is made explicit in the determinate, determinate articles of the faith. And this explanation, explication was completed through Christ. So this explication of the articles of faith contained in one another, remember articles of faith, not doctrines of faith. So those dogmatic articles, this was completed through Christ. So in this way, it cannot grow at all. All of these uh, relations of uh, implicit and explicit with the articles of faith, that has been completed through Christ. This does not grow. So this is why one may not add or take away from his teaching as regards the essentials of faith, as it says at the end of Revelation. But before the coming of Christ, it was not complete. This is why, even as regards the great, it grew according to the diverse time periods. So when it comes to the articles of faith right here, this is why we can't add or take away from Scripture. And this is the sense in which he explains the relationship between the uh, the fathers of the Old Covenant and then the, then the New Covenant. This is the way in which he's speaking of. So if, if you're going to make all of these objections that I've, I've brought up and then I've responded to, St. Thomas, all you have to do is just read them holistically, and he's going to answer these questions. But in another way, so there's a second way in which an article could be made explicit. Boom. In another way, that which is contained in an article is not an article, but something antecedent on the article. So this is when it comes to the doctrines of faith. The doctrines of faith, very important. And with respect to this, the faith can be made explicit every day. And it has been made more and more explicit through the study of the holy. So when it comes to those doctrines of faith, which are antecedent to the articles, so those things which are connected in a certain way to the articles, but aren't articles themselves, like using our example of the physical promotion of the will, or of uh, any number of those doctrines of faith, not the articles of faith, they're made explicit, more explicit every day, and they're made more explicit through the study of the holy. Remember, it's in the subject, and it has to do with the doctrines of faith. So these are very important distinctions that St. Thomas makes, and you can apply them to the, uh, to the verses of Scripture which are often uh, given against the development of doctrine. For example, let's say um, objector says, it seems that the development of doctrine does not happen for um, it is said that the faith it is said by uh, St. Jude that the faith was delivered um, once and for all to the saints. But uh, we would respond that we would distinguish regarding the articles of faith, I concede. Regarding the doctrines of faith, I deny. Very important. Or actually, we would we would go further when it comes to this language. So regarding the articles of faith, I concede. Regarding the doctrines of faith, I subdistinguish. Regarding in say, I concede. Regarding in subiecto or in our in, in the subject of the church, uh, contemplating the articles of faith and doctrines of faith, I. I concede, or did I deny? I can't remember where I am right now. I'm doing this off on the fly. Whatever the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> okay, so yes. Let me see if there's anything in the chat. Okay, so Heinrich. Hi, Christian. You definitely need to bring Dr. Matava back again on your channel. Such a great guest with an amazing knowledge of his subject of study greetings from brazil 
Yes. Thank you, Heinrich. Is it bad that when I think of Heinrich, I think of Heinrich Himmler? That's the only person that I know named Heinrich. I'm so sorry. That is That must be a terrible connection. Um, <laughs> after that, yeah, Dr. Matava, I've been uh, I've been talking to him. I need to actually, thank you for reminding me. I need to email him. Um, I have something I need to ask him. But yeah, I definitely would be open to bringing him back on the channel, especially to talk about Christendom College. He seemed, because he's the dean there. It seems like a really good college. So I don't know, maybe, maybe talk to him about that for all you all you more educated Thomists out there who want to get more educated. Okay. And then also he says, I think that an, a quintessential question of the development of doctrine is the question about who is, who has the authority to judge whether a certain development is proper or improper according to the faith. Yeah, that is, that is a huge question when it comes magisterially. I mean, this is kind of, I guess there would kind of be a twofold answer to this. First, in regard to those certain signs, or uh, I guess you could say categories, or um, those, what, what word am I trying to think of? Categories or requirements for a proper development versus a corruption, versus the uh, actual application of those categories. So when it comes to the former, Ed Newman lays them out pretty easily. His, uh, I think it's seven rules. I had a video on this, so I should know. But his seven rules, which are found in his development of doctrine. But then the other question, that's not actually treated as much in the development of doctrine. That's more treated in his evolution of Catholic dogma when it comes to uh, the passing from the subjective to the objective word of God, which is, um, which is the magisterium. When it comes to the actual application of these rules, Although it's only the magisterium in an infallible sense, in a fallible sense, it is really each one of us, um, each one of the faithful can um, can judge whether a development is proper or improper. So I'm not see. OK, there you go. So I'm going to answer Heinrich here. If you have any more questions, I'll answer them. If not, then I will go for this impromptu Sunday afternoon stream. I hope that was all clear. I mean, I, I know I'm a, I'm a bit obscure on some points sometimes, and I definitely felt like uh, when I was reading the body of the article in the in in, in Sententium, I feel like I was I was uh, a bit obscure. But I hope I wasn't too obscure. I hope you guys you guys uh, understand what I was talking about. Maybe I got to do something a little bit more formal sometimes. Maybe write an article or something, kind of explaining the various distinctions that are present in Saint Thomas. So if you have any more questions, throw them in the chat, and I'll answer this last one from Heinrich, and then I will go. So Catholics would say that the See of Rome has this authority, while an Orthodox who accepts the thesis would say that it is the principles within the Greek categories of thought that form the faith. Are you talking about Greek as in uh, Greek philosophers or Greek ecclesiastics? The latter is an a posteriori form of knowledge that is discerned through the study of ecclesiastical history. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get what, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but, but again, I mean, the issue, the issue is definitely going to be with, because it, people make it sound... Like, I mean, we're kind of guilty of this, too, when it comes to uh, having the magisterium. People make it sound like ecclesiastical history is just like, psh, just read the fathers, find out what's what's up. It's definitely not that easy. <laughs> it is a lot more difficult. 
than that. And fathers will have um, differing modes of expression, um, differing, sometimes differing doctrines and different beliefs when it comes to certain articles. Sometimes they're not even treating the question which we're looking for. Sometimes they're treating questions which we don't even care about. So it's a lot more difficult when it comes to not only synthesizing and reading the fathers, but also applying the fathers. So I think, I don't know, I've always found the orthodox uh, theory on this a bit naive when it comes to an act, the actual practice of reading the fathers. It's a lot more difficult than that. And that, that is especially seen when it comes to even the early battles um, over uh, certain heresies. This especially comes to fore when it comes to the iconoclastic controversy, when it comes to how are we reading the fathers before us. And then even in things like the Arian controversy and the um, the controversy surrounding the uh, Council of Chalcedon and the um, Council of Ephesus, there's, there's definitely a lot of issues when it comes to reading the previous tradition and applying it to the question at hand that isn't as self-evident as it would seem. It seems just as naive as a um as your normie evangelical coming to scripture and just saying well just read the bible and you'll be able to figure it out i just get my all my doctrine from the bible it, it just seems like that but applied to the church fathers you know it's like solum patrum i guess you could say okay that's all i see in the chat thank you guys for showing up and i will see you later at the chill stream and then late late tonight at i think 11 10 11 p.m something like that i'm actually doing another stream on the the necessity of religion, arguing kind of from natural law to why religion is necessary against the impious atheists of our day. Oh, I see another thing popped up. Well, my language comes from my reading of George Florovsky. He really struggles against Harnock's thesis. Harnock, more like Harong. <laughs> Yeah, Harnock, he was he was trying to um, apply I why can't I think of my continental philosophers right now? The dude with the um, the thesis, antithesis, synthesis sort of way of what, what was his name? He's kind of like the father of philosophical evolutionism. What is it? It starts with an H. I can't for some reason I can't remember his name right now. I think it starts with an H. Hegel, Hegel. That's um, I'm so embarrassed right now that I couldn't think of Hegel. I'm you guys. You guys shouldn't be listening to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to basically anything, I, I mean, I'm trying to expand my uh, my knowledge base. But like for for as long as I've been reading, I haven't really cared about anything like past like 17th century. So I'm trying to expand it by reading um, a lot of Gary Gou Lagrange recently and him dealing with the philosophers of his day and him dealing with the uh, the tradition of Thomistic commentate, uh, commentators. So that's what I'm trying to trying to expand my knowledge. I'm trying, guys, I promise. But yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I don't really have much comment when it comes to uh, Harnock. I basically heard about him in some church history classes and then I heard uh, the Harnock super bad because he has the um the one theory when it comes to like the uh christianity with the pauline and the petrine sect and stuff like that at least i think that's him i don't know you guys shouldn't be listening to me okay thank you guys appreciate it i will talk to you guys later oh wait gosh you guys are really hegel didn't use the thesis antithesis synthesis model who did
I need to know where where am I getting that from? Did I just make that up? He's a Marcia Knight. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Many such cases. Many such cases. Okay. Who was the thesis antithesis synthesis? You know, this is how this is how uh, I do philosophy right here. Hegel's this the internet says Hegel. The oh Wikipedia says Fitchian, but somebody else says Hegel. Man, the the internet is really failing me right now. It's a common intellectual myth. Oh, oh, so you're just speaking about like, oh, yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. Hegelians tell me Hegel never used it. Yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. It's kind of like, um, what's another good example? There's plenty in theology, but I can't think of an example right now. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm catching what you're throwing. I'm catching what you're throwing. It's like the sort of Calvin versus the Calvinist myth, kind of in in that genus right there, of yeah, people that people do it all the time, and and I mean sometimes they're sometimes they're right that the specific uh, language isn't used, but the concept is used. I don't know. I've never read Hegel, and I have no interest in ever reading Hegel. I prefer to to stay ignorant of the continental philosophers for the own, for the the good of my own soul, because you know I've I've actually been I I might pontificate for another minute or two. I've been uh, talking with with people, and people a lot of times will will ask me about like oh I read I I was watching uh, this uh, I don't know atheist or this uh, Muslim or this Jew or this protestant or something like ooh, help me with it and stuff like that and sometimes i just want to tell people that there was a reason that there was an index of forbidden books like you have to be really careful with what you're watching and reading and you have to make sure you're equipped with the with the actual doctrine as articulated by the best of our authors before you start even getting into uh objections on that doctrine I think that's a very virtuous thing is you have to recognize your own intellectual limitations and you have to recognize that there's dangerous waters you can wade in if you try to go beyond your own intellectual capacities and try to read heretical authors. Like even even like in the post reference, I was thinking about this because I was reading about the life of St. Bellarmine. And when it came to Bellarmine, with him reading uh, like Calvin and Luther, that he would have to sit with the the head of his order and read. And he was like, and he was like, he had a high position in the church at this time. Like, come on, like this guy's obviously not going to apostatize, but they were so very careful when it came to the reading of heretics, because this can easily happen that even if you're just reading it for research purposes only, uh, it doesn't, doesn't stay like that. So I've, I mean, yeah, that that that's really all I have to say. And there are so many examples of this. Like, um, I think Vermigli was reading Booser when he when he converted. Um, I think Calvin and both Calvin and Cranmer. I think it was from reading Luther and some of his works. And there's just many such cases when it comes to uh, Catholics 
uh, converting the heretical sects through through reading um, through curiously reading uh, certain books for research purposes only. Like, be very careful about that. That's why I don't read Hegel because I I don't want to be I don't I I don't know much about the the uh, topics of philosophy, so I'm just going to stick with what what the the magisterium has stamped as being as being orthodox. So, and then maybe once, once you've gained a good framework of it, you can, you can delve into, uh, watching videos of, of other people and reading their books and stuff like that when they disagree with the orthodox position, but you have to make sure you're, you're, you're not just hopping in there just because you're interested. Like that's very, very dangerous. My Roger Scruton fan. Um, I, the only, the only person I've ever talked about, uh, Scruton with is, is Swan Sona. So I'm, I mean, I'm, that, that's just, that's just not my cup of tea. You guys have to realize people ask me to, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking on you, James, but people ask me to make, this is, this is also when it comes to intellectual humility and uh, knowing your limits is people ask me to do videos on stuff. Like somebody the other day um, asked me to do a video on the SSPX and their canonical situation, but I realized my limitations. I'm not a canonist. Um, uh, that's that's not where any of my expertise is. I have a very limited uh, group of doctrines. That may be presumptuous to say I even have a grasp of anything, but I have a, uh, a very limited scope of stuff where I feel comfortable talking about. And if if I don't know about something, I'll just tell you guys. Like it's it's better for for the both of us because I mean, if if you try to pontificate on stuff you don't know about, uh, that's just a recipe for getting embarrassed. And um, and having people show you up that you don't know what you're talking about, it's very embarrassing um, to to go down that route. And I'm and I guard myself from having to having to uh, walk back my steps and say that I that I overspoke and that I was actually just talking about stuff that I don't know about. And that builds a relationship of trust too when it comes to um, when it comes to me and you guys, because I don't I don't want to abuse your trust by. Uh, presuming to speak on something authoritatively that I don't know about. Um, yeah. So that's that. Those, those are my brief reflections. So thank you guys. And do pen actually it's Sunday. So God bless.